That's right, George. He has promised full cooperation to the Mueller team. He's prepared to testify, we are told by a confidant, against President Trump, against members of the Trump family, and others in the White House. So I would say if I were in the White House, I would not look at that statement and think, oh, gee, Mike Flynn is still going to try to help us out. I think Mike Flynn is going to, honestly, he's going to tell the truth. There aren't many more dots right. after Check. Mike Flynn, right? Your dots go to Kushner and then the president. There really are no other dots here. Hey, Trumpcast listeners, Jason here, producer of the show. Today, we saw the biggest news in the Mueller investigation yet. This morning, former Trump national security advisor, or as Trump's lawyer, Ty Cobb, refers to him, the former Obama administration official, um, Michael Flynn pleaded guilty to making false statements to the FBI. And joining me on the line to chat about the latest developments from earlier this morning is Kate Brannon. She's the deputy managing editor of Just Security, a wonderful blog that I check basically every morning for analysis of national security matters. And boy, do we have some national security matters to analyze, Kate. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So we've long speculated two things. That one, Flynn has committed some very, let's say, jailable offenses. And two, that he has the goods on the higher-ups in the Trump administration and perhaps maybe Trump himself. I'm not sure if I'd go as far uh, on the latter, but this morning's news doesn't look good for the White House. Can you talk us through what to make of Flynn's plea today? So I think the first thing that um, I noticed and other folks at Just Security noticed is that, you know, all the reporting around Flynn, we're aware that he possibly committed a lot of different criminal type activities from lying to FBI investigators to not registering under the Foreign Agents Registration Act for his lobbying on behalf of Turkey, and then on the really far end of the uh, spectrum, conspiring to perhaps kidnap this Turkish cleric at the request of the Turkish government and um, fly him back to Turkey and put him in prison. So when the announcement came out, first what was released was a... um, like a statement of criminal information, I think, and that didn't have that much info. But what was clear was he was only pleading guilty to lying to the FBI, which is really just a fraction of what we think, you know, he might have been up to. So that indicated that he might be bargaining, you know, he had a lot to bargain for, you know, this much minor offense than what we think he might be guilty of. So sort of the thinking is that he has a lot to trade in, a lot of tradable information, and for that he's getting a pretty lenient deal. Um, And then later after, so he appeared um, at the federal courthouse in D.C. this morning. And then after that, um, the Mueller team released his plea agreement, and they also released a very interesting statement of offense, which sort of lays out more details. But the plea agreement um, also sort of indicates that the size of the reward Flynn is getting is pretty substantial. And I think that's just further evidence that the information he's supplying the investigation is important. And so part of what was released today in that plea agreement was also a statement of offense. And this kind of lays out the timeline of what Flynn was up to and is in this plea agreement. Uh, Can you walk us through that timeline of Flynn's contacts with Russian officials and senior Trump transition officials, as as the statement puts it? They don't directly say who the senior Trump transition officials are. But can you walk us through that timeline and why it's significant? Yeah, so the timeline is specifically about um, the statements that Flynn appears to lie to the FBI about. So the FBI interviewed him on January 24th, four days after the inauguration. And during that, investiga- or during that interview, 
Flynn lied to FBI investigators, which is pretty sort of shocking in and of itself. You're the brand new national security advisor, and on the fourth day on the job, you're lying to the FBI. So he lied about these phone calls that he had with the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak. He sort of told them um, that, you know, that they weren't about sanctions. So it's it's kind of tricky to put yourself back in the last, last winter, even though it was just a year ago. But the Obama administration on December um, 28th sanctioned Russia and kicked out 35 Russian spies and they closed down these two compounds. This is for the election meddling. Right, exactly, for meddling in the election. And uh, I think it was first David Ignatius at the Washington Post reported that Flynn had actually been on the call several times that same day with the Russian ambassador. And it was believed to be talking about this very thing that was going down. And this created a big, like, hubbub and a lot of confusion out of the White House. I remember, you know, watching Sean Spicer do a press briefing where he said... Oh, Sean. I remember him. <laughs> you remember Sean? That guy? So he, he said, you know, I talked to Flynn, like, yesterday or the day before, and he told me, you know, that he did have these phone calls, but they were about um, passing on condolences for this, I can't remember, I think it was a plane crash. He wished him Merry Christmas. Uh, but absolutely, it was not about the sanctions or anything about that. And so it appears that Flynn told these FBI investigators basically the same set of BS. Mm-hmm. And so now in the statement of offense, we see what he actually did talk to Kislyak about. And we also see, but without a lot of detail, that everything he discussed with Kislyak, he was coordinating with people more senior than him on the transition team. We just don't know who. So the timeline itself is that on December 28th, President Obama signed in th- these sanctions into effect. On that same day, um, Kislyak called Flynn, or actually it says contacted Flynn. Um, maybe he texted him because that was part of the <laughs> intrigue back at, was it text or calls? So we don't yeah. know. Yeah, I remember. Anyway, Flynn then called, um, and now I'm reading from the statement of offense, he called the senior official of the presidential transition team, who was with other senior members of the presidential transition team at the Mar-a-Lago resort in Palm Beach, and basically says, all right, what should I, what should I tell Russia? What do we want them to do in response to these sanctions? He then calls the Russian ambassador back and requests that Russia not escalate the situation any further. He then gets off the phone, calls back the presidential transition team official he'd been talking to to report what he discussed in the phone call with Kislyak. Then Putin announces on December 30th that um, Russia is not going to take any retaliatory action. And then this is not in the um, timeline provided by Mueller's team, but it's worth noting that on that same day, December 30th, Trump tweets himself, great move on delay by V. Putin. I always knew he was very smart. And then on the 31st, Kislyak calls Flynn back, tells him, uh, we didn't, we did what you requested. We didn't retaliate. Flynn then picks up the phone and um, tells senior members of the presidential transition team about this conversation. And so this, it kind of reminds me of the Papadopoulos statement from Mueller's team where you learn a lot and yet what you're not learning is sort of just as important because it just hints to the other people implicated in this story. I know, basically, I know this story. Um, It's now up to you to come tell me the truth, I think. And... I, I guess there's there's two strands in this plea agreement today that I've been trying to untangle in my head, which is like we have the strand with the the contacts with the Russian officials during the transition. 
This brings up the question, of course, of the Logan Act, which I feel has been pondered over quite a bit, whether a transition team can conduct foreign policy while another president is sitting in office. Uh, yeah, I think, so the Logan Act, um, less so even than FARA, FARA really isn't enforced either, um, but right. the Logan Act really isn't enforced. And I would kind of be shocked if that's what, you know, the Mueller team is writing this on. I would, I don't think that's the case. Um so lots of lawyers write for Jeff Security, and I've been talking to them this morning. And ABC News also reported this morning that um, what Flynn intends to tell Mueller is that Trump, he did this all at Trump's direction. Now, mm-hmm. ABC is the only one reporting that right now, but um, it's you know just worth noting. Um, but the folks I've talked to this morning think that, that, that it's not all about these phone calls. Like, that's just what they have Flynn on in terms of lying to the FBI, but that's not the central thing that, you know, Mueller's after. You know, the central question of the whole investigation is about meddling in the election and whatever role the Trump campaign played in that. And the thought is that Flynn has information on that question. And so the second thread that I was also thinking about here is the obstruction of justice thread. <laughs> thinking back to last year, so Obama warned Trump about Flynn when he when he was in the transition. Chris Christie, who was leading Trump's transition team, uh, that was also a weird time in the world, uh, he warned Trump about Flynn. Sally Yates warned Trump about Flynn, and she got fired. And then Trump requested that Comey be lenient with Flynn, and he eventually got fired. Now that Flynn is in Mueller's pocket, I just, I, I, I have this picture, this image of Trump just being terrified. Why does this timeline of, like, the, in, specifically in the obstruction of justice world, why does this timeline look so bad for Trump? Well, Lying to the FBI is not, you know, it is a felony. So there actually is now a crime. Before that, it was all speculation. Um, but now there is a crime. Like, Flynn did commit a crime. Right. And so there's actually a thing to obstruct now. Um, you know, so I think in that respect, it makes it a stronger case and a more threatening case against Trump. But Flynn, so what was really interesting and kind of hilarious in the Ty Cobb statement, the White House attorney like you said at the top, they called Flynn an Obama administration official, a former Obama administration official. Which is like the and, kiss of death in the Trump administration. <laughs> and they also were basically like, look, he lied to us, and so it's not a surprise he's lying. He's a liar. So that's how they painted him. He's a liar and a former Obama guy, which shows like just how much they need to distance themselves from Flynn. And also, like that's not based in reality. Flynn was one of your closest, most loyal campaign aides. He was the national security advisor for Trump. National security advisor. And now you're completely throwing him under the bus and pretending like you don't know him. Um, I assume it's because he's not, he has some bad stuff to um, share about you. And you need to, you know, you need to now give him a motive other than he's coming clean. And so moving on then to the, like what we see coming up, uh, I remember a lot of the talk around Sergey Kislyak back in the winter of 2016 was with Jared Kushner. And it does it feel like this is going to eventually start leading in that direction? Is the logical next person in line that like the Trump family and perhaps, you know, Trump himself? I think so. Um, you know, the big question, obviously, with today is who are these senior transition team officials? And they're really it's not really a big pool. It could be Kushner. It could be Mike Pence could be Reince Priebus. And then, of course, the question is, what did Trump know? Pence is a really interesting question because the reason, the public reason Flynn was fired was for lying to the vice president about what these phone calls were about. 
So if you read this statement of offense where everybody's sitting down at Mar-a-Lago discussing what they should tell the Russian ambassador, it really begs, I can't remember the expression, but it, it really like challenges your belief to think that Pence didn't know about this. And if he didn't, then he's really out of, like, crazily out of the loop. I mean, this seems like, you know, a top senior level group of people discussing what Trump's foreign policy should be. He should presumably be um, read in on that. You know, he went on, um, I can't I think it was January 15th, he went on Fox News and told Chris Wallace. Did Mike Flynn ever discuss lifting sanctions in any of those conversations? Do you know? I, I talked to General Flynn yesterday. And the conversations uh, that took place at that time uh, were not in any way related uh, to new U.S. sanctions uh, against Russia or the expulsion of diplomats. All right. Second question. Um, and that's sort of like the crux moment that they now say, like, well, Flynn lied to him. That's why he told the American people that, because Flynn was lying to him. So, you know, Mike Pence is, you know, there are huge questions for what Mike Pence knew when. There are huge questions about what Jared Kushner knew when. And then in terms of what's coming next, like, this is just one, this is entirely unrelated to Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort at this point is out of the picture. Like, this is a separate track of, of wrong do, wrongdoing and, and um, Russian contacts totally separate from Paul Manafort. So I feel like Mueller is, you know, squeezing on both fronts absolutely with the intent to get Kushner or, and then, or Trump or, you know, it has to be Trump or his family, I think. Right. So... Uh, this leads to the the question on Trumpcast that is almost always asked. Every moment feels like it's a moment that Republicans should turn or will turn. I always wonder if this is it. And then as I was wondering that, earlier this morning, I saw that the New York Times notification came to my phone as I was looking at all these plea agreements from Flynn, is that Mitch McConnell went out to the floor and said they have the votes for tax legislation. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure they're ready to say this is it. This is the moment that they turn. What do you think? So I think with the tax, with tax, like, uh, you know, being on the verge of being passed, like, absolutely, they're not going to take some high moral ground right now. I think even without taxes, though, they might not have anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that I that I was uh, very aware and taking note of is that I imagine Don Jr. must be really upset right now because part of this plea agreement is that Flynn's son is going to be left out of this. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure Trump would do that for Don Jr. To me, like, the way they threw Flynn under the bus, on the one hand, is totally not uh, surprising. But if I were a close associate of Donald Trump, whether I was his child or otherwise, I'd be a bit nervous about, you know, his loyalty. <laughs> um, what loyalty? That's the better question. <laughs> All right, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. All right. Thank you. Hey, Trumpcast listeners, we have one more chat to share with you today. Michael Flynn was on our minds all week here at Trumpcast, so much so that Virginia Heffernan recorded a conversation on Thursday with Josh Marshall, the founder and editor of Talking Points Memo. It's a prescient conversation in hindsight filled with details of Michael Flynn's various misdeeds, the ones that Mueller so far has left on the table. So here's Virginia and Josh trying to find the moment that Mike Flynn broke bad. Joining me on the line is Josh Marshall of the Talking Points Memo. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me. 
So I want to, in spite of all the news and tempests today, concentrate on everybody's favorite crazy former disgraced national security advisor, Michael Flynn. I guess we've all been wondering, Mike Flynn in 2014 sounded kind of sane, hawkish, but kind of sane, Uh super hawkish, but Uh kind of sane. He was saying Russia was an enemy, for instance, that kind of thing. Right. Um, And a short time later, he wasn't. And he was making deals with people like Erdogan in Turkey. What happened to Michael Flynn? Do you think there was a Breaking Bad situation where he switched or was this there all along? And talk us through Michael Flynn. It's it's very hard to figure when when Flynn first became this big a deal in our national conversation, just when he got really tight with Trump and, you know, the, the first hints of the Russia stuff came up. I tried to look back and, and ask around people I know in the foreign policy world, like, how did this guy ascend so far? Is he really this great? You know, precisely the question, you know, how did this happen? And the closest that I got was that he was actually a very skilled army intelligence officer, and he did pretty well within the chain of command, And which is to say that as long as he had someone he was reporting to and said, you know, Michael Flint, here's the mission, go do this, that he could execute very well, and that's why he ascended through the ranks. And that the key was when he took over at the Defense Intelligence Agency, when for the first time he was the executive, he was the person in charge. There was no one, I mean, in theory, he's you know, still reports to the president and reports to the secretary of defense. But basically, he had his own fiefdom where he called the shots. And and the idea was that he had always been kind of crazy, but maybe it had just never presented itself because, again, he wasn't calling the shots. That is clearly a significant part of the story in my mind. But the stuff that he was doing you know, now that we know what we know, that is clearly not an adequate explanation. And and it's really only, it's only in the last, you know, few weeks where we've had not just kidnapping Gulen, but also springing this other guy that you're just in a, you know, this is like the foreign policy version of like the last 30 minutes of Goodfellas, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. clearly things were seriously out of control. And, and, and this is someone who was just willing to do kind of anything and doing it for money. And, and I, you know, I did a post, and you, you, this may be what you're you know, partially reacting to a few days ago, where I said, you know, something happened with this guy. And we don't know what it is yet. But again, maybe he was always kind of crazy. It was a mistake to ever put him in charge of, of an agency. But even after that, something happened. And I just don't think we know what it is yet, but something did. Because the stuff he was doing is just too nuts. The two strands of this that I want to pull apart, if a military guy who's increasingly sounds Islamophobic like Flynn, kind of a familiar type among the hawkish part of our military and the Pentagon, it could be driven by ideology. But Flynn started to make some decisions in, in to the latter part of 2015 and then 2016 that seemed driven by greed. There's something more than just Greed, because there are plenty of opportunities for someone who had his career to satisfy their greed. You can go on a board of, of you know, Lockheed Martin. You can become a consultant. It, it was a need to make money really, really fast. And again, even that, I just don't think, I don't think that even that explains it. Because you can't, if you, if you kidnap someone 
who is that known, right? This is not someone no one's ever heard of before. Everybody in Turkey knows who he is. A lot of people in the U.S. foreign policy world. So we say that lots of people know who he is, the the object of the would-be kidnapping. Um, that's Fethullah Gulen. Can you recap for us the astounding adventures in Pennsylvania of Fatullah Gulen, who he is, what Flynn was offering to do or might have done. Sure, sure. So Gulen is a, is a, um, a Muslim cleric who has lived in the United States in exile for a number of years. And when Erdogan was coming to power, they were both people who wanted um, Islam to have a greater role in public life in Turkey. So they were allies for a long time. That alliance broke down two or three years ago, uh, more or less, maybe maybe a little bit further back. Um, and Gulen has stayed in exile. And in any case, he has become, you know, public enemy number one to Erdogan's government. They and and when there was a coup in twenty six, an attempted coup in twenty sixteen, they all uh, Erdogan and his government blamed uh, Gulen as the one who was behind it. It's not completely clear to me how much truth or lack of truth there is. I think clearly some people who support Gulen did it. But in any case, they want him bad, and they and they, they he's, you know, kind of public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. And so he's living over there in uh, Pennsylvania, and he, it's, it's really kind of a very odd story. He Flynn was trying to make a deal where they would kidnap him and send him back to Turkey. And at least as I understand it, you know, it, w- another way you could have approached this very bad thing would be to say, you know, give me some money, and when we are in power, we will make this happen. I mean, the U.S. does ways you can extradite someone, but that's not what they were talking about. It seems pretty clear they were talking about, as private citizens, we will arrange for him to be kidnapped and, like, secretly shipped out of the country. And again, that's just crazy. Tell us about Reza Zara, because he's part of this, too, and as a gold trader— He's a less religio-ideological figure in the mix who may be the key to some of what follow the money in this. Yeah, so he is, so Iran was under under very strict sanctions, you know, tied to the effort to rein in their nuclear program. And this guy Zarab was running some sort of effort to evade those sanctions using gold, basically gold mm. for oil. So that's the basic thing. He was, the gist is this, that it appears that people very high level in Erdogan's government, perhaps even Erdogan's relatives, were sort of in on this scheme and maybe getting kickbacks or whatever. But basically, if the, the idea is that if the totality of Zarab's scam was known, it would be highly embarrassing to Erdogan's government. Hmm. And that is their basic interest in in him. So he was indicted in the U.S., he was arrested in the United States, and they have desperately wanted to get him out of the United States. It's not entirely clear to me whether that would be great for him, right, for Zorab, but clearly they don't want him um, in non-friendly hands. So what about Flynn's work in Turkey dovetails with his work with the Russians? Because I know, I know this isn't, we haven't sealed, no one's sealed this case yet, and we haven't heard the last of Mike Flynn. Um, but t- connect those dots a little bit. I think that is one of the big questions that is still unresolved. It's clear that he had some transactions with 
Russian figures, whether they are just ill-advised or criminal, is not clear. The same is clear with the Turks. I think it's a little more clear based on the available evidence right now that these were criminal. What it appears, there is a lot of circumstantial evidence that these things were actually related and possibly that the stuff with the Turks was actually that the Russians were sort of in the mix there too. And again, how that would have been the case is really not clear. Um, in the last couple of years, the Turks and the Russians have drawn much closer together in, you know, in, in alliance terms. So that is just, you know, it's possible Flynn just had sort of multiple criminal enterprises going on at the same time. Well, that's um, why, and you know, when you say Goodfellas, and I guess when I say Breaking Bad, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we try not to psychologize too much about these people, but there is such, as you say in this recent piece about Flynn, it became clear at some point that he would do anything. He suddenly would do mm-hmm. anything either for money or to vindicate some, you know, personal agenda that we don't know, possibly to protect his son. Was his son yet implicated? We know that any threats to his son he takes very seriously, mm-hmm. unlike mm-hmm. the president who seems to be able to, as Sarah <laughs> Ellison says, cut his son Don loose like a starfish arm. Um, right, right. <laughs> you know, when we talk about other figures in the mix here, including Don Jr. or Jared Kushner or Paul Manafort, sometimes there's a little, sometimes it gets a little... Um, unexciting when you're worried too much about who who didn't whose FARA filings were incomplete or right, who didn't right. fill his SF eighty six out completely or had to do it over and over again. They seem like sort of even money laundering incidentally, just these these really white collar, complex, bureaucratic crimes that are sort of hard to I guess, get the public to understand, maybe get mm-hmm. Trump supporters to understand that there were actually violent implications that mm-hmm. on, on any standard of double agenting or espionage, Flynn is probably the most graphic of the, you know, of the rogues gallery here, the, his, his misdeeds. Yeah, I, I would say, on, I, I think that's definitely the case. And I would say it's the case on two fronts. It is no excuse, but Don Jr., can make a very good case that he is a complete moron, right? Yeah. And both right. he and Jared yeah. were com- are completely, this was not their world. Now, again, that's not an excuse, but these guys, this not their world at all. Flynn was a spy, mm-hmm. a professional spy. Mm-hmm. So there is zero excuse in any of this that he kind of didn't know what he was getting into. So that, that, that's one part of it. The other part of it with the filings is that years ago, it's, it's kind of for young investigative reporters in D.C., fair filings, everybody loves fair filings, because you go look, you find like, ah, oh, this person was working for this terrible government. It's just sort of like a fun place to start digging around, yeah. right? And, it, and, and it's what everyone, they're going after everyone for, you know, the... The Facebook fraud accounts, uh, Glenn Simpson that, you know, criticized for the FARA filings, you know, which prosecutorial overreach says is, you know, maybe that would be tax evasion that Al Capone was gotten on. Just find right. something that trips them up. But well, that's, people that's mess the up their FARA filings all the time, right? Yeah, I would. I mean, not even like even 
it is the Farah regime, for lack of a better word, is notorious for people finding all sorts of reasons not to file mm. and basically no one ever getting in trouble for it. So when we first found out all these things about filings with with Flynn and also with Paul Manafort, with Flynn, my kind of sense was, okay, they got him for these pretty egregious cases. And even though people don't normally get in trouble, that's no, you know, you can't, don't tell a prosecutor that, mm-hmm. right? They can, mm-hmm. it's a law and they can indict you. So my sense of this was, okay, they tripped him up. They, they got him on these pretty egregious things, but were basically paperwork issues. Mm-hmm. And they could use those to pressure him to say what he knew about other things, presumably with Trump or members of the Trump family or stuff with Russia. That was my sense up until, say, a month ago. But with what we have known since then, it's, it seems very clear to me he wasn't filing because he was planning on committing crime. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it really is no longer the case. These fair things are no, it, it, it's really not a paperwork issue anymore. I think that this, you know, I think this gets at a good point because there are plenty of, you know, very zealous people waiting for hashtag Mueller time to, who right. will tell you that every single one of these people is a treason weasel and a traitor. But if the name applies to anyone, it would be Michael Flynn. Which, you know, it, it does seem we should be judicious in saying, you know, who violated the Espionage Act, if that's even in play. But, you know, I think, as you say, prima facie, Flynn's plan to kidnap Fatola Galan for $15 million, kind of, uh, that's a, um, that looks bad, whatever your moral code. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say that one thing for people to keep in mind is that when you are, I don't know where exactly the level is, but when you are a three, three-star and four-star general, after you retire, you never completely retire. Because you were that high in the military, you still have to tell the Pentagon when you do certain things. Hmm. So not only did he do more, but he had you know, a higher level of responsibility, for lack of a better word, than like, you know, like a bonehead like, like Don Jr. or Jared. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it makes sense if you think about it that if someone is like a four-star general, yeah. the government basically, in the government's thinking, you know, we gave you a huge amount of power. You were always, we're always going to kind of see you as a big military leader. So, like, if you go to work for a foreign government, we really need to know about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing for for people who are are eager and hungry for Bob Mueller to send a lot of people to jail. Treason is a very specific set of crimes, and it is very important to use it judiciously and not abuse the word. I think what, what based on what we know, at least on, on the basis of a lot of reporting with Flynn now, this is, again, treason is a loaded word. Mm-hmm. Someone who acted in a corrupt way and worked against and 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 plotted to commit crimes against against the U.S. Uh, on behalf of a foreign government, it really seems like that's the case. And that's, 
that's plenty bad. Sometimes um, I think we're, we try to be too judicious. I mean, when I hear Sebastian Gorka talking about giving the Rosenbergs the chair or whatever, I think sometimes, why do we always, <laughs> sometimes we're, we're too careful. But yes, yeah, Flynn no, is I mean, bad. Would, Flynn would, probably belongs in a supermax. Yeah, I, would, I think it's certainly the case that if the bulk of the reporting that we know now is true, Flynn betrayed his country. That's how that's how I think about it. Okay, so I want to um, see if you can identify a quotation for me. Mike okay. Flynn is a good guy. Mike Flynn is a good guy. Jim, tell me Mike Flynn is a good guy. <laughs> that was our president's words, yes. too, as you know. Jim Comey. Okay, Trump is not known for... Basically, when he lets someone go, it's don't let the door hit you on the way out. I haven't heard him say the mooch is a good guy. I haven't heard him even say Don Jr. is a good guy for a long time. Um, (laughs) But Flynn, he hasn't yet said this guy was a rotten apple. We're so glad to be rid of him. And and now we have now I have all these now I have McMaster and Mattis and all these other military guys I can stand behind. If we had had any idea that Flynn was up to this stuff, we never would have, or at least not say anything about him. But Trump seems beholden to him in some way that uh, he's not beholden to virtually anyone else. Is he just yeah, scared? Absolutely. It, I, I don't, it's, it is one of those things, something is going on there that, and we don't know what it is. I think the most plausible it, it, it is not plausible that Donald Trump is deeply loyal to people who are loyal to him, because we know that's not true. Right. We can set that aside. Yep. I think the most plausible explanation of why he tried to get Comey to drop the investigation is that he knows that threads lead back to him in some sense or another. I, I really think that's the that's. It is the only plausible explanation based on what we currently know. I, I would say this, and one thing that is important to keep in mind is because of the nature of presidential authority, the case for obstruction is probably stronger with that conversation with Comey about Flynn than it is about firing Comey. I agree. Just, yeah. Yeah. So and the, so that's that is a very central. You know, it's not a secondary thing to the firing of Comey. Because just for your listeners, the president has an inherent right to fire Comey for any reason. Mm-hmm. Now, it, there, is a, there is a good legal argument that you can say, yes, any reason, except to prevent an investigation of yourself. The key is with the Flynn conversation, there's no parallel there. The president does not have an inherent right to tell the FBI, tell the director of the FBI to just drop an investigation for no reason. So mm-hmm. that that conversation is really central, and it, it is. I can't think of a reason other than Trump knew that an investi- a thorough investigation of Flynn would lead back to him or back to his kids or back to his company or something like that. This is exactly the uh, what I needed your brain for. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay. I'm sorry to get to get you to talk about Mike Flynn for this long. Thanks again for being here, Josh. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And that's the show for today. 
It's worth noting that since my chat with Kate Brennan, Jared Kushner has been reported to be the senior Trump transition official who directed Michael Flynn to contact former Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak. We here at Trumpcast will, you best believe, be keeping a close eye on all the latest developments. To keep track of our show, follow us on Twitter at RealTrumpCast. That's at RealTrumpCast, where I post links to our show, what we're reading, plus, you know, make the occasional joke. Trumpcast is made with the help of Jacob Weisberg, Virginia Heffernan, Jamel Bowie, Josh King, John D. Domenico, June Thomas, and so many more. I don't get to say thanks enough. And to you, the listeners, thanks so much for listening to Trumpcast. <laughs>